as we begin this morning again here, as we look at John chapter 11, uh, I want to take some time this morning to just kind of a little, review a little bit last week. Because if you if you missed last week, uh, or if you're not on that train of thought, then uh, you're going to be a little bit behind today. And so if you did miss last week, I would encourage you to go back at some point and uh, to listen or to listen to or to watch uh, so that you can kind of put these two things together, because really one doesn't work without the other. Um, and so they have to be uh, joined when we talk about a redemptive relationship uh, that then is empowered through redemptive love. And so we're going to uh, look this morning uh, deeply, a little bit more deeply into the life of, of, of how Jesus ministered to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Uh, and so, but you know, everywhere that Jesus goes, it's, it's the same story. Sometimes the Bible gives us more detail about the story uh, and more detail about the people and the lives that Jesus is impacting. Other times he tells us very little. Uh, the, the conclusion to the story is not always uh, what we would look at and say that was successful uh, by the way that we define success. But remember that I mean this, if... If I was going to look at this from uh, my point of view, I would look and say that a successful relationship redemptively is when I engage with someone, I reach out to them, I, I impart knowledge to them and meet the needs and build that relationship uh, and bring them to the decision point and they choose to accept Christ and they then are baptized and they become a part of the church and they begin to grow and become a disciple themselves and they go out. That is the ultimate definition of success in redemptive relationships. I would argue, however, this morning that Jesus did not fail when he was rejected. And so for us, you know, sometimes we can think about redemptive relationships and get going through life. And well, the person I was working with just shut me down and, and closed themselves off to the gospel um, and basically terminated the relationship or scaled back. Uh, and so I failed with them. And I would say tonight or this morning, you didn't fail. Uh, not everyone that Jesus reached out to trusted him. Not everyone that Jesus poured his life into lived for him. Uh, but he never failed. Uh, and so when we look at that, we can look at some ways and get really discouraged because we're not seeing as much success in the way that we would define it uh, as we would like. But the reality is, is that what we have been called to do and what Jesus demonstrated to us was to live in a way that draws people to Christ and to share him. We cannot force anyone to accept him, but their failure to accept him is not our failure to live as he's instructed us to live. And so as we look at this this morning, and really the last few weeks, my big struggle has not been what I'm going to preach, but uh, but which of Jesus' examples of redemptive relationships do I want to kind of look into? Uh, and what demonstrates what I feel like the Lord is wanting to communicate to us? And so last week we started down this road of really defining a little bit more closely. We looked early about what a disciple is and uh, what a biblical disciple does and uh, how that impacts our life. Last week we looked more deeply into uh, what an actual redemptive relationship is. Listen, listen. 
redemptive relationships are not designed, nor will they work, if the goal is to form people into like a cookie-cutter mold of what we think Christianity is. God did not make any of us the same. God gave us different likes and dislikes. He gave us different talents. He gave us different abilities. He gave us different interests. You cannot take a diverse people and put them into one little mold and say, this is what defines Christianity. There are guidelines, there are certainly our principles, there are certainly things that God gives us that should be applicable to every one of our lives, but it may not and often will not always look exactly the same in one life from one life uh, to another. And so we're not, the goal here is to not make a, uh, a, a an assembly line where we're just turning out cookie cutter relationships. Uh, I have to understand that when I enter into a relationship with someone for the purpose of sharing with them my faith, that every time I do that, it could look different. Uh, the conversations may be different. The illustrations that are needed to make a point might be different. The, uh, the, the text that I use to get to a, uh, a decision point might need to be different based upon what that person's experience is, what their level of knowledge is, what their uh, level of interest is. And so uh, when we see Jesus demonstrating, that's what we see. We see him reaching out to people from all walks of life, and we see him using all different manners of, uh, of outreach to try to connect with them, uh, to try to open their heart and to uh, try to uh, build a bridge to them. And so what we previously looked at in last week in a redemptive relationship is this, that a redemptive relationship very simply defined, and this is a little bit less than what I gave last week, but it's, it's connecting with someone for the purpose of saving them from error or evil. So it's not restricted to just someone that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. It could be someone that knows Christ as their Savior, but they are backslidden. They're far away from the Lord. They're not living for God. But I want to enter into a relationship as the Holy Spirit guides me for the purpose of bringing them back, for saving them from error or evil. Now, Jesus basically states that in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, uh, when he says, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He did not, uh, he did not come to pour his life into those that uh, are uninterested or that have everything figured out, or his primary mission was not to go to those that had a, uh, that had a strong faith in the Messiah. His primary mission was to go to those that were lost, those that were floundering, those that were, uh, that were struggling and to uh, demonstrate that there was a shift, that Messiah had actually come. There was a fulfillment uh, of the law. And so we saw from John chapter 4, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, and so as we looked at that and we considered it, we, we considered these things. That first, we saw the priority of a, of a redemptive relationship. And what we saw in that is that he was willing to be inconvenienced. He went out of his way. He didn't take the normal path. Uh, he knew that it was going to be the inconvenience of having to deal with explaining to his disciples why we're we going this way, uh, the inconvenience of being hungry, uh, of exerting himself. And what we saw there was that he was willing to invest. He, he was willing to inconvenience himself and he was willing to make an investment in someone. Now, Jesus is God, of course, knows the outcome of those relationships. But what he's demonstrating to us is regardless of the, of the outcome, he needed to go see this woman. He needed to go down this path. We considered last week that uh, he was willing to invest. He was willing to initiate uncomfortable conversations. And I think you, you saw that 
a little bit demonstrated or alluded to in the video of Brian and Samantha's story and that part of the process of that relationship uh, with Brother Mike and Miss Rhonda and as a Sunday school teacher and in that Bible study is that as you study the Bible, there are going to be things that are going to come up that are going to hit us where we live that aren't always going to be comfortable to deal with. Uh, and so some, not everyone can accept that. Not other, everyone's willing to be confronted with the Word of God. Uh, and so, uh, but the, he was willing, Jesus was willing to initiate uh, as the Spirit led an uncomfortable conversation. We considered the purpose of a redemptive relationship. Why? What are we trying to accomplish? What is it that God wants us to do? And really there were two main parts of that. First, it was to diagnose someone's position or standing. And so the, the whole intent when I enter into a dialogue with someone for the purpose of bringing them to Christ is I have to diagnose, not for me, but in their mind, where they stand. Uh, because if they know that Jesus is their Savior, then, uh, then that's a whole different avenue in which I need to approach to try to draw them back in. The need becomes different, uh, and they have to come to an understanding of, hey, I need what the Bible says here. I need what Jesus did for me. I need the message that's being, uh, been, being shared with me. And so the first part of the purpose of a redemptive relationship uh, is to diagnose where we are. Uh, are we living for God? Are we serving Him faithfully? Do we know Him as our Savior? Are we without Christ? And are we uh, not knowing Him and not knowing of Him? Then it's to bring to a point of decision. And so we always want to, in the course of relationship, and what you see with Jesus, whether the relationship was long and drawn out or whether the relationship was just a brief encounter, what you almost what you always see is that He brought them to a point of decision. Sometimes that decision was that they rejected Him. Sometimes the decision was that they reviled him. But many times that decision was they put their faith and trust in him. And so we go and we see the purpose there of the redemptive relationship. Then we looked at the power of a redemptive relationship. What is its power? Well, Jesus in his conversation with this woman, uh, without being unkind, but being yet direct, uh, his presence exposed her sin. And the truth is, is that when I get into the Word of God and I get close to Jesus, uh, and as I enter into a redemptive relationship with someone and convey and communicate Jesus to them, without me ever naming a sin in their life, they are going to automatically begin to become convicted about sin in their life. They may not even understand that. As a matter of fact, I think that uh, one of the young people that came to uh, the outreach event a couple of weeks ago, the war and trusted Christ as their Savior, communicated back over the last few days uh, or last week or so that they they now felt guilty about things in their life that they never even really paid attention to before. And why is that, Pastor? Does somebody go and confront them about it? No, not at all. The reality is, is that someone just simply uh, shared with them Jesus and the Holy Spirit now is dwelling in his heart and communicating to him. He may not understand the communication. He may not understand why, but it's still early in that relationship. Uh, but, but God is working. And so we see that a redemptive relationship is going to expose sin, but it's also going to express the Savior. It's going to express the solution to the problem. And Jesus expresses his Messiahship to her. He expresses to her why he's come and what his power is and what his ability is. And then that had the, the, uh, the effect of evoking her surrender. She could have rejected. She could have left. She could have been upset. She could have been offended. But she simply surrendered to him. 
She surrendered to salvation. She surrendered to his message, to his uh, to his outreach. And then we saw that she enlisted in his service. I mean, immediately she went and told everyone in town about what Jesus had done for her and what Jesus had con- communicated. And then we saw the potential of a redemptive relationship and that it impacted those that were in. Jesus is the disciples are gone to buy bread. We saw them come back <clears throat> at this point. And as they come back, they try to get Jesus to eat and he communicates a message to them that that doing God's work and bringing this relationship here to its pivotal point of decision is more important than my physical need right now. Uh, And so he communicated a a message to them. And so they were impacted by that. So whenever we see a, a true redemptive relationship in action, it is not only going to impact those that do not know Jesus or those who are without the church. It is going to impact those of us that are here that see God working that see what God's doing in someone's life, that experience uh, as we watch how God is transforming and changing someone. And so the potential is that it impacts those that are within, but obviously it impacts those also that are without. The gospel changes lives. The truth of Jesus and his shed blood and his resurrection and uh, the life that he wants to live vicariously through us is impactful. It is life changing. And sometimes we on the inside need to have our hearts stirred again for the working of God. And the best way to do that is to see someone birthed into God's family or someone reclaimed that had been that had strayed and see them be excited about serving God again and uh, and going about. And so that's a redemptive relationship. A redemptive relationship uh, is uh, is that relationship that uh, that is established for the purpose of recovering, reclaiming someone from error or from evil. And so, well, pastor, all of us can go out and do that. And I've seen a lot of people do that and the people just get angry and it drives them away. Well, you can do everything the right way and, and still get that reaction from some. But but I believe that there's a key ingredient that. That And we touched on this last week just briefly, and it's really the message today. What made this effective for Christ? Because what he's demonstrating for us is how he's building his church. And what he's demonstrating for us is, is something that is possible for us to do. Jesus did not say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and then say, but you don't have the, the but you but you can't be effective at it. And the reality is, is that I have to understand that what Jesus has demonstrated for me is doable, that it's livable, that it can be powerful, that it can be engaging. So what makes the difference? What what is it that uh, that caused Jesus to be so effective? And I believe it's this idea of redemptive love. Jesus did not go with a judgmental spirit. Jesus did not go in self-righteousness. Jesus did not go uh, to browbeat people with their sin. He confronted their sin, yes, but his purpose was not to elevate or to lift up self or to condemn. His He understood that mankind in our sin were already condemned. He doesn't need to, he didn't need to go and, and make people and load them down in condemnation. We're already condemned. What he did is he went and he loved them. And we see that this morning in our text. Now, redemptive love defined is this, and I gave you this last week, but we didn't really dwell on it much. And I'm not going to expand much on the definition. I just want to reestablish this thought and then look at this on display and in practice throughout 
his relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus this morning. Redemptive love, you'll remember we stated, goes beyond unconditional love. We all understand God's love for his creation is unconditional. God's love for mankind is unconditional, but God's unconditional love was largely and has been largely ineffective at reaching the world. God's unconditional love is not his mode of reaching the world. It is just simply a fact of how he loves us. But redemptive love goes beyond unconditional love in that it sacrifices itself because of love. And that's what we saw demonstrated on the cross. Jesus uh, said, I love my creation unconditionally, but I love you redemptively in that I'm going to sacrifice myself and leave heaven and put on flesh and walk among you and be tempted in all points as you are and meet and attend to your needs and grieve with you when you grieve and rejoice with you when you rejoice and ultimately give my life the sacrifice to make atonement for your sin so that your sins can be paid for, so that God's justice can be satisfied and so that eternal life can be given. That's redemptive love. It is Jesus laying down his life for his friends. It is it is Jesus fulfilling uh, the gospel and the gospel message. And he's saying to us as he demonstrates redemptive love and we communicate on his behalf as we love people redemptively through, through redemptive relationships that I want to save you because I love you and I'm willing to sacrifice to do it. I see that. I mentioned Miss Jennifer Green that's here. They, they're on the mission field in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico to the death because they love them. They want to, they're willing to leave home. They're willing to leave their home country. They're willing to uh, learn new languages. They're learning to, uh, they're, they're willing to be separated and have a greater distance and more borders and barriers between them and family because they love the people that God has called them to share the gospel with. That's what all of us need to understand that as a missionary is willing to sacrifice so much to go to a distant land, we must be willing to sacrifice right here where we live. And when we do that, what we communicate to people is, listen, I am engaging in this relationship with you because I love you. That doesn't make sense. How could you love me? You don't know me, but I love who God made you. I'm willing to sacrifice to establish this relationship to help you see your condition, to bring you to a point of decision that God might be real and alive in your heart and in your life. Jude communicated that to us in verse 22 when he said, and of some have compassion or on some have compassion, making a difference. What makes a difference? Compassion makes a difference. And compassion is not just feeling sorry for, that's pity. Pity just drives most people away. It frustrates and angers and, uh, and is demeaning to people. God never told us to uh, go out and engage in relationships and have pity on people. Nowhere uh, does the Bible show us where Jesus is looking at the multitude and moved with pity. He's moved with compassion. Compassion puts shoes on. Compassion has hands. Compassion goes to work. Compassion solves the problem or at least makes a solution available. Uh, and so what we see here is Jesus demonstrating to this family, his redemptive love. Now, I want you to notice that we don't know when they initially met Jesus. 
The Bible doesn't tell us when they first came in contact with him. And really, whenever we see them first mentioned in the Bible, it seems as if Jesus has already had uh, a relationship ongoing with them. If you would hold your place here uh, and let's look back to Luke chapter number 10 for a moment, because in Luke chapter 10 is the first time that we see this family, Mary and Martha in the Bible. Lazarus is not yet in this section. And but we see in chapter 10 of Luke in verse 38, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So what we see here, and I'm not... the, the the purpose this morning is not to preach what's exactly what's going on in that text, but to observe that Jesus has already a pretty obviously established relationship with him. For one, he comes into town and it seems like uh, there wasn't much there wasn't much worry about where he was going to stay. He knew where he was going. He was there was welcomed into the home. Not only was he welcomed into the home, but immediately they were preparing refreshment. And you could argue that, well, they did that for everyone that would stay in their home because of its cultural relevance. But they were comfortable enough that one sister sat at his feet. And they were comfortable enough that when that rubbed her the wrong way, she went and complained to him about it. So it's pretty clear that they knew each other before this moment, before this introduction in the uh, in the Bible. At least to, to me, it seems clear. And uh, and we see that as we're first introduced to them, that Jesus has already established has established already a relationship with them. I think that that you could deduce here that in all likelihood they've already given their heart to Him as far as accepting Him as their Savior. Uh, and so obviously uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that in detail, uh, and so we don't know that factually, but it, it seems pretty clear that their relationship is more than just, uh, oh, this prophet came in from out of town, let me have him in. There seems to be a, a commonality here, a, a knowledge, a relationship that's been uh, established. And so we see that there. Then we see, uh, as he introduces us to them there, that they're there, that they're teaching, that they're learning, that they're just kind of in a normal, uh, everyday mode of life. Then in John chapter 11, we see them in crisis. Lazarus has died. Now, when we look in this in John chapter 11, this is a, uh, a deeply disturbing event in their life. A, a, a relatively young man that was not in a time of life when you would expect his death. We don't know how old he was, but uh, it seems apparent that uh, this was a sudden loss, that this was a sudden uh, issue that came up. And uh, and there's a lot more here than I could preach in one Sunday. I, I'm just wanting to kind of hit the highlights of uh, of how he interacted with them through this process. But uh, but he he calls or they send word to him again, showing the, the depth of the relationship. They sent for Jesus with the expectation that he would come. And so they send word and Jesus immediately understands that this is not unto death. Now he wasn't mistaken because Lazarus dies. He's saying that his death is not going to stand. 
that I'm not going to allow. This is for the glorification of God. This is for uh, the, the, the demonstration of uh, God's power and my deity that men might be brought to me. Uh, and so he waits two days there. He has a conversation with the disciples that says, hey, our friend Lazarus is sick. And again, he refers to him as friend. It's a close relationship. Our friend Lazarus is sick and he's asleep. And they're thinking, hey, well, if he's sick and he's sleeping, that's a good thing. He's recovering. Until finally Jesus just plainly tells them, no, he's dead. And he's been in the grave four days already when Jesus gets there. And that's significant because corruption and decomposition sets in in earnest after the third day. That's why it's important that Jesus rise on the third day. Because he would not and could not see corruption. Uh, and so uh, when we look at how this falls out, what we see is that we are see them now in this deep crisis. And then we're going to look uh, just briefly at chapter 12 when we see uh, him in their home again with their feet washed and anointed with oil and prepare, prepare, preparation being made for his death. And we find them post-crisis. And so we see them pre-crisis, we see them in crisis, and we see them post-crisis in their relationship with Jesus and how his interaction, his redemptive relationship, his demonstration of continual redemptive love in their life uh, has drawn them and is developing them. So what are some things about redemptive love that we see Jesus demonstrate that really, uh, though the redemptive relationship is clear here, we want to look at what's deeper than that. What, what's the motivation behind that relationship? And it's love. And we see beginning in verses 1 through 6, and we read those as we began this morning, and so, uh, and we've been talking about them now. I would just say this, uh, without rereading that section of the text, uh, that redemptive love is aware. Jesus was aware of their need. Jesus was aware of what they were experiencing. And my friends, this morning, there's not anything that you'll face in this life there is not any trial, there is not any tragedy, there is not any issue or any decision that you'll ever have to make that will catch God off guard. Jesus is aware of where you are. He is aware of what you are experiencing. He is aware of how you feel. He is aware of your mental your mental state. He is aware uh, of your condition. And I'm saying this morning that what I believe that we see here in these verses that we read to begin is that Jesus loves them. He says that he states that, and he is aware of their need. Their brother is dead. They have a need. They need comfort. Now they, they need more than what they think they're going to get. So they downplayed their expectation. It's clear whenever she approaches them that she does not expect that Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus. She says to him, if you would have gotten here sooner, you could have prevented his death. But it's a leap of faith for her to expect that Jesus would raise him. And until he states that, she doesn't believe that. But once he states it, then we see that that changes her expectation, and we'll look at that in a moment. But redemptive love is aware. You know, there's a lot of times that we can talk to people and just completely be oblivious to what their issues are. Uh, to, to be completely out of tune with what their needs are. Why? Because we haven't taken the time to find out what their needs are. We haven't taken time to listen to what 
their ailment is or what their heartache is. We, we haven't, and I understand you can't go and pry things out of people until you've gotten pretty close to them. But, uh, but the reality is, is that there are many times when, when you meet somebody and they're trying to tell you, they want to communicate what their need is. And we hear the story that they tell us, but we don't really hear the heart behind it. And what Jesus is demonstrating here is that not only is he keenly aware of what their physical outer dilemma is, but he understands the impact on their soul and their spirit and their heart. And he's there to meet the need. Redemptive love is aware. It is aware of the need. And not only that, he was aware of what he needed to do. He was aware of what he needed to do. So, Pastor, how do I how do I do that? Well, uh, the only thing I can say here is that in order for us to demonstrate in a redemptive relationship that kind of redemptive love, we must be walking with and be led by the Holy Spirit. What comes to mind here is when Jesus told them, when you go out, don't give any thought to what you're going to say. When you come under attack, when you are caught off guard, when you have someone that I present to you, the Holy Spirit will give you what needs to be said. And listen, there are a lot of times when you deal with people, when you're teaching people, when you're when you're trying to interact with people, that that it's like you, you're listening, and, and I, this happens to me frequently. I'm listening to what they're communicating to me, and I'm thinking, I really have no idea how to respond to this. It's going to help them. And then all of a sudden, it's like a light comes on, and the Holy Spirit just gives you what ne- what they need to hear. The truth that's going to encourage their spirit, the the uh, the kind word that's going to give them hope and that's going to inspire them to want to hang on and try to uh, work out an issue or, uh, or or to build on something in their life or to, to, to be willing to accept truth as it as it comes to them. But I believe that what we've seen here in these first six verses are, are these truths. That he is aware of what's going on. He's aware of their need. He knows, hey, we've got to go to where Lazarus is. Our friends need us. We love them. He's sick to death. Uh, he's, he's, he's here. Uh, we need to get moving. Uh, and he's aware what he's going to have to do when he gets there. He's sick, but not unto death. But he knew that he had died. And so he keenly, he's keenly aware. The second thing we see here is that redemptive love is active. It's not passive. He, he didn't sit back and just say, okay, uh, I love Lazarus, but he's already gone, so there's not really any point in me going. And truthfully, Jesus could have just spoken from where he was and healed him, raised him. He didn't have to go to do it, but he needed to go because of his redemptive relationship with his sisters. And so we see him going. His his redemptive love is active. Notice in verse number 8, he says, His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again. Now, remember, this is a redemptive relationship. He's willing to make the sacrifice. He's willing to be inconvenienced. He's, he's willing to put his own life in jeopardy by going back and by dealing with the griping and the complaining of his men and the fear of his men uh, that we see demonstrated here. Uh, and Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? And if any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he saith, because he seeth the light of the world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. 
These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go. He's active. That I may wake him out of sleep. I go that I might raise him from the dead. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus saith unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, fellas. This is maybe something bigger than what you've even seen me do on a regular day-to-day basis. But our friend Lazarus is dead. And we are actively making preparation to go so that I might raise him. He's active. And listen, redemptive love is active. It cannot sit still. It cannot sit back. It cannot uh, do nothing whenever there is a need. And so what we see here through this text is that immediately in his activity, what we see is that he begins to make preparation. What's he doing here? He's preparing his men. He's preparing for the journey. He's waiting for two days because he needs for Lazarus to be point past that point of corruption to magnify the glorification of God and to manifest his deity to mankind. That's more than they can comprehend. Uh, but Jesus knows exactly what he needs to accomplish. And lovingly, in, its, in the activity of that love, he is making preparation. He begins to get things set in order. And ultimately, what we see is that he goes to them. Now we look down and we see uh, in in verse 20, and Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give thee, kind of unexpectedly, not expecting to get the answer that she wants, uh, but kind of floating the idea. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And where we see her doubt. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth, believeth in me, shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus is aware of what their issue is. He's aware of what the need is. He's aware of what needs to be done to solve the problem. He then makes preparation and is actively making preparation, preparing his men and their mindset and their willingness to go, their willingness to, with him, put themselves uh, in jeopardy as they go back to a place where they recently wanted to stone him, to kill him. And then he is actively now engaged in the problem. See, a redemptive relationship that is guided by redemptive love will be actively involved in the problems of life that are unfolded as we deal with issues. So this is what happens. Someone we establish a relationship with begins to show uh, an interest in the Savior that we love and that we serve. And they begin to learn the Word. And in time, uh, maybe quickly, maybe not quickly, they come to Christ. But there may be a lot of issues in some lives that have to be dealt with 
along the way. There might be a lot of past bitterness. There might be a lot of past hurt. There might be a lot of uh, past failure from uh, authority figures or even figures within the church and people that have made mistakes, that have sinned, that have failed. And it could be any commentation. I'm not a big fan of, of referring to sin as a mistake because it's sin. But there are clearly times when, uh, when we are deeply hurt just simply because someone made a mistake. So there's some people that are held back or that are confused or they're hardened because they've been hurt. There are others that are, are that way because they have been uh, because they have been abused by someone else's sin. Uh, and there are others that just have a lot of things in their own life. Maybe there's something about the Bible that they don't understand. Maybe there's something about their position that they don't understand biblically. And part of the process of the relationship is to make all of those things known, to make all of those things clear. To demonstrate, and however long it takes. So, well, Pastor, how long is a redemptive relationship supposed to laugh, last? A lifetime. And what we're talking about in discipleship is one life to a life for a life. If I lead you to Christ and then I teach you how to be a Christian, uh, I don't just brush you off and say, okay, uh, go out and win others. We no longer have a relationship. No, our, our interaction may not be as frequent, but we still have a bond. Uh, we still have uh, a desire and a, and a service to our, uh, our Savior. So redemptive love is aware. Redemptive love is active. It, he is actively making preparations and actively engaged in their problem. Then we see thirdly that redemptive love is attentive. And this is where I think you really see the, the love aspect, the compassion aspect come alive uh, in the relationship. It's where they can really, a person can really see. Redemptive love is attentive. Notice beginning in verse number 29. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. And the Jews then were, which were with, that were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, notice his response. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now, remember, he knows that he's about to resurrect Lazarus. He knows that his death is not going to stand. In verse 34, his spirit is troubled and said, where have ye laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. Now, again, and this is I, I, I can't hardly preach from this text without dwelling on this point for a moment. If I'm Jesus at this point and I walk up and meet these sisters along the way, Oh, don't just just dry it up. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And I see the crowd there that's mourning, whether they're the professional hired mourners or uh, the customary mourners or whether they genuinely had a relationship with him. I'm just thinking, all right, guys, everything's going to be all right. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus is here. Stop your crying. Everything's going to be great. I mean, everything was going to be great. He wasn't he wasn't being deceptive. He was still going to demonstrate power. But the point is, is that Jesus in his love could not, 
could not move forward without stopping to experiencing what they are experiencing. Dr. Lee Robertson used to say that compassion is your hurt and my heart. It is empathy. It is feeling what you feel. And I'm just saying that I believe that one of the major character traits of Jesus and his love for people and his redemptive relationships with people is that he did not just simply, Brother JP, live to impart to them truth. He lived to exhibit to them how much he loved them, how much he cared for them. And he wasn't too busy and he wasn't too self-absorbed to allow his own inner man to be overwhelmed with their grief. He was troubled in his spirit. Jesus wept. It's mind-boggling to me. It really is. He's about to do something that is going to blow their mind. But yet he stopped and wept with them. And you know, sometimes just imparting truth isn't enough. Sometimes just revealing the reality of where someone's, of their condition isn't enough. Sometimes they need to know that you're interested in more than just disseminating information. You're interested in helping them with how they feel. And Jesus lays it out there. He's attentive to their grief. He's attentive, and that carries over. In this case, he's attentive to their grief. In other cases, he's attentive to their other needs, whether that need be the healing of their blindness or their deafness or their mute, mutedness or their, uh, or their lameness or whatever the need. He is attentive to the need. In this instance, it's grief. And he was attentive to their fragile condition. And I think this is where we really communicate redemptive love. Because what I'm doing here and what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, I recognize that what you're going through or what this truth has exposed to you puts you in a fragile state. And I believe that there, there is a process that goes on in someone's heart and life as they're being drawn to Christ, whether they are being brought to Jesus for salvation or whether it's someone that's been far away from God that knows him as their Savior that's being brought back, that there is a crucial moment when it would be easy to just shatter them and have them walk away or take that fragility, communicate his power and his love and heal them. How we communicate, how we preach, how we disseminate truth is so important. And I get it. There are a lot of people out there that just put it out with a lot of contempt and arrogance and almost an angry spirit. The problem with that is, is that when someone is at a state of fragility, that it's going to shatter them, not draw them. Brings them to the point where we just, I can't be good enough, or I can't get over this, or I can't. That's not the purpose here. That's not what Jesus is here to do. Jesus is here to draw them. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to recover. I came to help. I came to demonstrate my love. And he demonstrates that here by first being attentive to their grief, 
But in so doing, he is attentive to the reality of their condition. Their condition is very fragile. Their heart is broken. Their life as they've known it is in shatters. It's destroyed. And yet here's Jesus. He's not here to say that, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. You're just going through this so that I can be glorified. That's the reality of why they're going through this. You understand? They're going through this because Jesus needed to demonstrate his deity. And his relationship was such with them that he could do that without destroying them. How much could we bear? How much could Jesus put on us? How much could he lean upon us? How much can he trust us to draw close to him if he chose to use our life to shine light in the darkness? This is a high price. But his love is attentive. And then lastly, we see that redemptive love will accomplish. We see what it will accomplish. Verse 38, Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a, stain, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. So here he is, ready to raise him, and still, though she wants it to happen, and though she's expressed at least on some level it could happen, I don't really think it's going to happen. It's been four days. It's too long. He, he, he can't respond. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And how often do we get to the place where Jesus is working in our lives and we are confronted and we're dealing with this turmoil, this sin, this problem, this hurt, this grief, this anger, uh, this disappointment that's locked in our heart toward a brother or sister in Christ, toward a pastor, current or former, uh, or distant or near, uh, or some family member, and we come to the place where we just, oh, I want to do the right thing, but I just can't. And Jesus says, if you would just believe, you would see my glory. If you would just believe, you could let it go. You can't let go. You can't change. You can't have victory because you don't have enough faith to trust me with it. And he says, if you would just believe, you would see the glory of God. And then, took the, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead lay, was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. In other words, he's saying, I want them to understand that if I can call out to you and get power in prayer, that they can call out to you and get power in prayer. I want them to understand. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which said it, but stand by, uh, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had th thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, let, Loose him and let him go. And what we see here is this, that redemptive love will accomplish. What will it accomplish, Pastor? Well, first we saw that it accomplished the impossible. What Jesus did here was impossible. It was a supernatural act of God. By the way, 
When the old dead me, when the old dead spirit that's been lying dormant within me came to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, put his trust in him, he rolled away the stone and he regenerated me, the Holy Spirit working in my life and then becoming my indweller. And he birthed me into the family of God. That is not humanly possible. You cannot go to church enough times. You cannot turn over a new, enough new leaves. You cannot be good enough long enough. Your good cannot weigh your bad by enough to make up the difference. You cannot be baptized enough times uh, to make an impact or a dent. Uh, what has taken place in your heart, in my heart, in the life of that one with whom I've entered a redemptive relationship that I've tried to demonstrate the redemptive love of Christ to, what happens in their life when the moment that they surrender to him and seek his forgiveness and accept the gift of salvation is a supernatural act of God. It is impossible, but he does the impossible. Amen. Pastor, how can this work? How can because Jesus changes lives. The the goal here is not to teach the church how to go out and change someone's life. The goal here is to help us to realize that we can do nothing. We can change no one's life. But we can let Jesus live through us and we can establish a relationship that's redemptive and we can exude and show to people the, the love that Jesus has for them redemptively so that they come to him willingly so that he and his supernatural power can transform their life. Thus there and thereby building his church. A redemptive love will accomplish the impossible. I would say as well that we see that his redemptive love to them accomplished the improbable. Notice chapter 12 and verses, the first three verses, and we're just about finished here. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, where they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. See that? He was in a grave for four days, and now he's sitting at the table with Jesus. He's in their house again. He's gone. He's returned. And he's at the table. Then took Mary a pound of ointment and spikenard very costly and appointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Again, she's she's anointing him uh, for for death and what's coming. And they complained the disciples, Lazarus or Judas and, and been explicitly, uh, this should have been sold to the poor. Listen, don't miss the picture here. How much more are we willing to sacrifice for the one? Uh, listen, she's here taking a costly ointment, probably a year's wages, and she is willingly and lovingly pouring it out on Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. And her brother is sitting at the table. Do you not believe that as she sat there and she tended to Jesus as he sat that at the table that she could look up and see her brother who a short time ago had been in a grave for four days and not remembered what Jesus had done for her? 
Pastor, I don't think I could go out and do this. Can you not see what Jesus has done in your life? Can you not see how God is blessed? Can you not see how God has been gracious? Can we not see how God has demonstrated his power? Can we not see the boldness of a savior that was willing to go to a woman at the well, that was willing to go to a grave where no hope was remaining, that anything possible could be done or there was nothing that could be done. And he did there the impossible. But here in chapter 12, we see the improbable. The improbability that their life, that their interaction with Jesus lasted longer than just a few moments. Listen, most people that give their heart to Christ at best sit in a church service on occasion. Most people that give Jesus their heart for salvation do not grow beyond infancy in their spiritual life. It's impossible for me to come to Jesus, and it's improbable that I will grow once I do. But if I'm willing to keep my eyes at who's sitting with him at the table, if I'm willing to remember what he saved me from, what he's helped me with, what he's invested in me, how he's demonstrated that love to me, the improbable becomes possible and powerful and blessed in my life. What we've seen this morning that redemptive relationships are what Jesus demonstrates and what are necessary, but it's redemptive love that makes them work. It's being aware of what's going on in someone's life. It's being active and coming to their aid and praying and meeting their need and, uh, and, and, and helping them. It's being attentive. It's understanding what they're going through and feeling what they feel. It's, it, it's experiencing that love and seeing what it will comp, what it can accomplish, how it has changed and can change lives. And if I really believe that, I want to engage in it. I want to engage in him. His genuine love bound them to him and him to them. They were bound. They were bound forever. And Jesus is bound to all of those that would give his heart to them. We saw in John chapter 3 when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We, we see that there. We, what we see is we see that God proclaimed redemption. I am proclaiming that I love you. I am proclaiming that I will redeem you. I am proclaiming that I have come for you. I want a relationship with you and I want to love you to help you understand it. And then in chapter 19 and chapter 20 of John's gospel, we see it displayed. He proclaimed it. In chapter 3, but he performed it in chapter 19 and 20. When he was taken into custody in a garden, when he was beaten and tried unfairly, when he had a crown of thorns thrust upon his head, when he was marched out of the city under the weight and the weakened state of that cross, and he couldn't even get it up the hill on his own, they had to recruit someone to help carry it up. When he was tossed down on top of it with his, rat, his back torn in shatters, uh, after he had been, uh, had been beaten and mistreated and falsely accused, and they nailed him to that cross, and they lifted it up, and they slammed it down into that hole, not 
gently, but abusively so that, that it's possible uh, from a medical standpoint that many of his joints could have been dislodged and been uh, come out of joint to a place where he would die a cruel, horrible death by suffocation of not the blood loss, but the suffocation, the struggle to get up, to get a breath until he went down until the point that he gave up the ghost. And then they came and they pierced his side and then they took and they slung him in a grave. Uh, and when they got in the grave and they, uh, they, they were worried about what would take place and they even set a guard, a guard could not contain him and a stone could not contain him because his love for those who he came to redeem was so great and so powerful that the stone rolled away and he rose from the grave and he came to establish a relationship with you, to show that he loves you, to show that he loves me so that he can love others through us so that through the redemptive relationships and the redemptive love of Jesus Christ, his church can be built and souls can be saved. That's what the church is. That's what Jesus does. That's the vision of the mission of this year and all years after this, really, for Victory Baptist Church. That we might be a place where disciples are made. How are we going to do that, Pastor? Well, we start by establishing redemptive relationships. What's going to make those work? Redemptive love. Redemptive love. Pastor, how do I get the love? Invest in the relationship. I promise you this, if you invest in a relationship and you open your heart to the Lord and to the person that he's led you to, that you will not find it hard to love them. They may not always be easy, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I'm glad that I didn't have to get lovely before he loved me. He loved me right where I was. In all my sin. In all my wickedness. And he loved me all the way to his cross. And he loved me all the way to his pulpit. And he's going to love me all the way to his presence. And he wants me to establish the relationships with others. That he established with me. So that when I come... I'm not there alone, but I'm surrounded by people that I help get there. What greater thing could we possibly imagine than the thought of sitting around the throne of God for eternity, surrounded by the people that you loved to Jesus?